Hello there. We'll start off today uh, as we're continuing our, our thoughts about how we are Israel and comparing ourselves to the Israelites. Uh, we're going to continue this, this series for the next few weeks. This morning, I'm going to remember to turn the uh, clicker on. This is my first time using a clicker. So I, I'm, we're, we're all in for a ride this morning is what I'm going to get out of this. Where do I point this thing? Up, down, somewhere else. This is why I don't use PowerPoints, Jeremy. I told you. This is it. Mike, would you mind advancing slides for me this morning? This morning, we're just going to talk about grumblers. Uh, we're going to do this in two parts. If you've ever read the Exodus account, if you've read from the book of Exodus through the book of Deuteronomy, what you're going to find is some 14-odd complaints from the Israelite people. There was a strong part of me that wanted to cover all 14 of those this morning. But then I thought, I'm asking for grumbling if I do that. <laughs> so I whittled it down to six. And I said, these six can fall into two categories. And late last night, Jeremy said, maybe you should split this into two. Because once again, I don't want you to leave here doing the exact thing we're talking about this morning. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to spend a little bit of time in one of those categories looking at three of the complaints of the Israelites as they're wandering through the wilderness. Next week, Jeremy's going to come in and he's going to talk to us about the deliverance of Israel, the initial Exodus story and the power of God. At least I think that I'm pretty close on. And then we're going to come back the week after that and we're going to talk about the other category of complaints, which happens three days after the Exodus. So we're, we'll spend a little bit of time connecting those over the next few weeks. But today I want to just kind of introduce the idea of grumbling and complaining. Have you ever been dissatisfied with something and told someone about it and talked to them about it for a long period of time? Did you know that you're a grumbler? Have you ever been annoyed by someone because that happens more often. Let's just be honest. We get annoyed by people. And then gone uh, across the way to someone else and talked about how annoyed you were. Do you realize you're a grumbler? Have you ever been in, in an uncomfortable situation and talked to somebody about how uncomfortable you were and how awful it made you feel? You're a grumbler. I'm, I'm in this category too. I, I am very bad about complaining about things. I complain about a lot of things. Uh, I don't know if you know that. Uh, and I, I think probably we all do. There is no greater place for complaints and grumbling to prosper than in a group of people. It is in a group of people that you are most likely to become dissatisfied with someone else, that you are most likely to become annoyed with someone else, and that you are most likely to feel uncomfortable. And all of that spawns some kind of complaint. That group of people may be your family. That group of people may be the people you work with or go to school with. But we're in a church building with 300 people. We are around members of the church all the time. And that is where a lot of our complaints spawn from. Now, we, we complain about other things, too. You know, we, we complain about the, the, the temperature that's going on in, in our houses. Maybe the air is too cold or something like that. A lot of us over the last few months, 
uh, as we've walked outside, we've channeled our inner Rob Thomas, and we've said, man, it's a hot one. And, and we sweat a lot. I, I'm a very sweaty person, and I don't like sweating. The moment I put this jacket on, it starts. The moment I put this, this actual, this, this long sleeve shirt on, it begins. And the reason I wear a jacket in front of you is because it embarrasses me. And, and so it, it's kind of like a catch-22. I would prefer not to wear the jacket, but then you'll get to see how much I sweat. And so I put the jacket on so you can't see it, but then I sweat more. And I'll tell you about that all day long, about how uncomfortable it makes me to sweat because I do that. And I think we all do that. And, and there's probably some room for a little bit of that in our lives. And, and I'm not talking about that kind of complaining today. I'm talking about the kind of complaining that brings some kind of grievance against other people. As I was looking through some, some things last night, I came across a particular psychology website. It says the average person complains about another person somewhere between 15 and 30 times per day. And at first I thought, wow, that's, that's a ridiculous number. Like, that's way too much. There's no way that's actually possible. But if you start to count up some of the little things that we hold against each other, in some of the conversations that we may have, and especially in the world of text messaging and social media and things like that, we probably do it even more than 15 to 30 times a day. Uh, especially when we can hide behind our, our Twitter accounts, and, and uh, we used to call it back in my day, we used to call it subtweeting people. I don't know if you guys still call it that, but you would subtweet someone, which means that you're going to talk about them in your tweet, but not actually talk about who they are. So you'll, you'll design your tweet to complain about a particular person, but you won't say who it is. But you know that everybody in your circle knows who you're talking about. In our modern world, we probably complain a lot more than 30 times a day. And we've tried to change the name of it to make ourselves feel better about it. We don't call it complaining. We don't call it grumbling. We call it venting. I just, I've got to get this off my chest. I'm just, oh, this person made me so angry the other day. This situation made me so dissatisfied. And I've just got to tell somebody about it. And an hour into our conversation, we realized that we've completely defamed whoever it is we're talking about. And we may have even made up some stuff about them because it made them sound a little bit worse. Uh, we might call them de-stressing, and we might even call it, we might, in our own minds, we might call this therapy. We might say, you know, it's therapeutic for me to get this complaint off my chest in a group of people in the church building. But a lot of times what it is, is it's mainly us just showing our discontent without recognizing our own personal responsibility. It's a lot of times us just saying things without actually taking any action to change it, without actually doing anything to make things better. Least of all, our attitude about the problem. And I think we can see this attitude in our own lives. I see it in my own life. And we see it as we look back in the wilderness wanderings of Israel. So we're going to take three examples from their wanderings today. And we're going to find their complaints, and we're going to see if there's anything in there that we can learn from them. Let's open our Bibles to Numbers chapter 11 this morning. In Numbers chapter 11, uh, this, this may be a, a passage that has skipped your mind a couple of times. It's certainly one that skipped mine. We're going to spend all of our time this morning in the book of Numbers uh, up until we get to the very end. 
I'm not familiar with the book of Numbers. I'll just be honest with you. It's, it's not my bedtime reading. Uh, most, of, most of everything from Leviticus to Deuteronomy, when I get to my, if I'm trying to do a yearly Bible reading program, somewhere in here is where I stop. Because I, I lose track. I, I, I forget what's going on. And so a lot of us may be familiar with some of the stories, but we may not be familiar with the context of what's going on in here. For ten chapters in the book of Numbers, what's happened is Israel has been standardized. Uh, Moses has pulled them all out. He's numbered each and every one of them. He's given them all their particular positions. And he said, okay, this is who you are. This is your name. You are now a country. And then he structures them. He continues to give them their laws that they need to follow. God continues to give Moses more laws. And then God further sanctifies Israel. He tells them about the certain rules that they need to follow to make sure that they are set apart so that they can be people of God. Now, already right off the bat, if you have not seen over the past couple of weeks the connections between the church and Israel, right there, that's one of those things. God sanctified Israel and set them apart for a purpose, just like He did the church. So let's make that connection right now as we start reading some of these stories. As we get into Numbers chapter 10, we're two months into the second year of their journey, and they depart from Mount Sinai. And they've got this whole thing where the cloud of God will be over the tabernacle and it will get up in the morning and it will lead them in the direction that they need to go. And then at night, when the the lights are out, the fire comes in and eventually it will fall down and say, this is where you need to rest for the day. At the end of Numbers chapter 10, we see the, the way that this works. Moses calls out when the ark sets out in the morning. He says, rise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. And then when it comes to rest at night, he says, Return, O Lord, to the myriad thousands of Israel. So we've got a relationship that's built between God and Israel, these people who he sanctified and called out, and he is leading them in a very visual way. But then we get to Numbers chapter 11. The people became as those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. We know a lot about what's gone on in the wilderness. We know how God has provided for His people. We know how God has taken care of His people. We know some of the conquests that they've already made. And yet here, even with all of that on one side of them, they become like people who complain. And what happens? God gets angry with them. When the Lord heard this, His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. So the people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. And the name of that place was called Tibera, because the fire of the Lord was burning among them. Okay, so we start chapter 11. The people complain, even though things have been going pretty well for them. The people complain, and God gets angry, and He sends fire. Now you think that would stop it, right? You think, okay, they see fire from God, they cry out to Moses and say, Moses, you've got to entreat God on our behalf. We've got to stop this. And you think that would just be the end of it. God puts out the fire and we're done. Look at verse 4. The angry mob who was among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this Manna. 
Now, in case you don't remember what the manna is, let's look at verse 7. The manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bdellium. The people would go out and gather it and grind it between two millstones, or beat it in the mortar and boil it in the pot and make cakes with it. And its taste was as the cakes of baked with oil. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. God is providing for his people. And they say, this isn't the way I like it. Matter of fact, if you look here, this idea of the people who had their greedy desires. Uh, this particular Hebrew word uh, implies that they wanted something more pleasurable. The other usages of this word in the Old Testament come in places that's talking about succulent food or food that is pleasing to the eyes. You may remember in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. Another one of the usages of this word. Eve looked at the tree and she saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eyes and she wanted it and she desired it. And that's the same kind of food that the Israelites are saying here. We want something that tastes good. It's kind of like if someone were to hand you a piece of toast with no butter and you said, you know what, I'm hungry, but I don't want this. I would rather have a strawberry cake. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, too, would rather have a strawberry cake. But if we're hungry and someone is going to provide for us for free, then maybe we ought to appreciate what they're doing for us. The complaint of Israel here. I think if we're to boil it down to what we're looking for. They say, things aren't going my way. This isn't what I want. Yes, I'm being provided for. Yes, God is on my side. Yes, he's done a lot of things. But it's not the way that I envision this. Things are not going my way. And so if we're connecting Israel to the modern church, and you know what, let's not, let's not make this broad. Let's not make this general. Let's connect Israel to the Dalreda Church of Christ. Let's be specific about this. Maybe we have thought at some point in the last year and a half, things are not going my way. Especially when it comes to COVID things especially when it comes to some of the things that we have had to do out in the community and some of the things that we have had to do even in this church building. Maybe we have said, this isn't the way that I would do things. This isn't how I want it. And then maybe what we've done with that is we've taken it behind closed doors with somebody else who we know feels the same way, and we've vented about it. And maybe it's, maybe it's not anything to do with COVID. Maybe we think that the church here should be doing something different activity-wise. Maybe we think that we should be doing something different on Sunday nights. Maybe we think we should be doing something different with our Bible classes or a different age group. But you know the, the complainer in us, what it does? It doesn't act on it. It doesn't say, well, I think something could be improved and I would like to help improve it. Instead, what the complainer does, is says, I'm going to sit down with my circle of friends and I'm going to vent to them. And I'm going to tell them how dissatisfied I am. And what ends up happening is one of two things. Either we continue to make other people dissatisfied along with us, or we make people really not like us very much. You know, when we are complaining constantly, people don't really want to hang around us very much. So we ask ourselves the question, 
maybe instead of thinking things aren't going my way, the church here at Dalreda is not doing things the way that I think they should be done, maybe instead of complaining behind closed doors, we ask ourselves the question, what can I do to be the solution for that? If I think there's something particular that the church here needs to address, how can I resolve that as a person, as a member here? Complaining comes back on each one of us not taking personal responsibility. And then maybe the second question that we ask is, what are we doing to appreciate what we already have? You know, there are a lot of churches that still aren't meeting right now. There are a lot of churches that have chosen to, to stay online only or maybe even close their doors. And yet our elders are doing a lot to make sure that we don't have to do that, that we can still be in here on Sunday morning. What are we doing to appreciate that? What are we doing to show that kind of love? Let's look at Numbers chapter 14. We get to Numbers chapter 14, and we've got this story about these spies. We know about the spies. They get outside the, the promised land, the land of Canaan. This is where they want to go. This is their goal. This is going to be their new home. And so they send in the spies. And the spies go in, and they look at the land, and they say, well, you know what? This land is beautiful. This land is flowing with milk and honey. It is exactly what we were promised. But, There are giants there. There are fortified walls there. There are armies there. And we can't beat them. And so the people lose confidence in Numbers chapter 13. They're, they're scared to death. And we enter into Numbers chapter 14 and it says, All the congregation lifted their voices up and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the sons of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, We wish that we would have died in the land of Egypt, or that we would have died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said, now pay attention to this. They said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregations of the sons of Israel. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh and those who, of those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. They spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If God is pleased with us, He'll bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said, let's stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. Let's pause here for just a minute. The people of Israel have lost their confidence, and so they complain about their leadership. They complain about Moses and Aaron and they complain about God. Why have you brought us all this way just for us to die? We, we wish we had died somewhere else. You're terrible leaders. You're not good at your job. Matter of fact, we would rather have someone else. We would rather have someone else so much that we are willing to kill you for what you're standing for. 
we are willing to stone you to death. Now, I, I just want to pause for a minute. The people decide to pick up stones and stone Moses and Aaron. And all of a sudden, it says, the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent. Do you know how much they were shaking in their shoes when that happened? They think, we've got all this figured out. Our leaders are wrong. We're going to go on and do things our way now. And then all of a sudden, God appears. That is striking. That might have been one of the most terrifying moments in the history of Israel. And yet the leadership was just making this simple argument. An argument that we've heard many times before, and maybe if we were to put it into New Testament phrases, would go like this. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's all they're saying. And the people say, no. The complaint of the people, if we're to wrap it up, into a distinct, small phrase. The leaders aren't doing what I think they should do. How many of us have felt that in the Dalreda Church of Christ? How many of us on Thursday got an email that asked us to wear a mask from the eldership and complained about it to our friends? How many of us said, you know what, I, the things that I've read about masks say that they don't work. And so, why would our elders even ask us to do this? That's such a terrible decision. How many of us have thought about some of the activities that we would normally do during not COVID times and said, well, why aren't our elders letting us do these things? If I was an elder, I would sure be letting us do it. Folks, that's the same kind of sentiment that we're getting out of the people of Israel. And I can tell you with full confidence that our elders are making the same statement that their leaders are making. Our elders are going forward on faith, saying that if God is for us, no one can be against us. And if we don't want the glory of God to be against us, we stand with them. We stand with what our leaders say. But I want to think about something a little bit deeper. Looking at this specific point, The people of Israel pick up stones prepared to kill Moses and Aaron. God shows up. And look at verse 11. God says, how long is this, are these people going to spurn me? How long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I've performed for them. I'll kill them with a pestilence. I'll dispossess them. And I'll make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. Look at what Moses says. Moses says, the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your strength you brought us up, you brought up this people from their midst. And they'll tell it to the inhabitants of the land that they have heard, you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. If you slay this people as one man, the nations who have heard of your fame will say, because the Lord couldn't bring his people out of the land which he promised, uh, he therefore slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now I pray, Moses, I pray, let the power of the Lord be great just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. 
but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness. Moses, as the leader of the Israelites, who they wanted to kill and were prepared to kill, stood by himself before God to plead with God. Even though his people wanted him dead, he pleaded with God, please spare them. Please forgive them. I want you to think about our leaders here at the Dalreda Church of Christ. I want you to think about what you know of them. I want you to think about your conversations with them. And any questions or complaints that you may have ever had, I want us all to understand that each one of these five men still stands before God on our behalf daily. They still stand up for you and me, even when we don't back them. Complaining doesn't get us anywhere. What action are we taking to make things better? What action are we taking to help our leaders to make things better? What action are we taking to support our leaders? Even when we don't necessarily agree with exactly what they're doing. They're standing before God on our behalf. They deserve our support. They deserve our love. And they deserve our prayers. Numbers chapter 21. We'll finish up with this particular example here. Things are turning different for the Israelites. Miriam, one of the great women leaders, has died. And people get antsy and complain in Numbers chapter 20 about the death of Miriam. They don't know what's going to happen. And so they come to the rock and they decide they want water. And God says, okay, you've got to speak to the rock and I'll send water out. And Moses decides he's going to strike the rock instead of speak to it. And so Moses is told he's not allowed into the promised land. They speak to Edom, and he says, you know what, I don't want you to come through my land. And they said, look, we'll, we'll stay on the road. We won't pass off to the left or the right. We just want to pass through your land. And Edom says, no, you're not welcome here. Don't pass through. And after all of this, Aaron dies. So the leadership in their mind is crumbling. It's just Moses left. And he can't seem to defeat this king. And yet we enter into chapter 21 of Numbers and it says that the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Atharim. And so he fought Israel and took some of them captive. So Israel made a vow to the Lord, said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. The Lord heard the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them in their cities. And the name of the place was called Hormah. This is probably one of the few things that we're looking at this morning that Israel does right. They get into a really bad situation and they make a vow to God. They say, God, we're going to stand by your side. If you'll be for us, then we'll be for you. And God says, okay, that's what I've wanted this whole time. That sounds great. And you know what happens? They win a battle. And so they set out, by the way of the Red Sea, to go around Edom. And the people became... Impatient. The people spoke against God and Moses 
saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, and there is no water, and we loathe this miserable food. First of all, impatience. Always gets us in trouble. We probably don't even need to dwell on that right now. We understand impatience is a problem. But I want to look at what impatience does real quick. Look at their complaint. There's no food. There's no water. But actually, there is food. We just don't like it. The food that we see is miserable. We hate it. So we don't mean that there's actually no food, but we've changed the way that we view things because of our impatience. Look what God does. God sends fiery serpents among the people and they bite the people so that many of the people of Israel died. The people came to Moses and said, We've sinned because we've spoken against the Lord and you intercede with the Lord that He may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. You've got to think Moses is getting tired of that, right? You've got to think Moses is, is kind of sick of interceding on behalf of the people who are going to keep complaining. And yet he still does it. So God tells him, make a fiery serpent, set it on a standard. Everyone who comes and looks at it, he will live. So Moses makes this serpent, and they look at it, and they live. Our impatience betrays us in a lot of situations. Our impatience makes us see things that aren't really there. Or makes us twist things to the way that we want them to look. And we have to remember that God works on His own time. God does things when He's ready to do them. We can ask God for things. We can talk to God for th about things. He wants us to do that. But at the end of the day, He's going to do it when He's ready. And so when we look at this complaint of Israel and we see their impatience, and we see how it's twisting things, maybe the complaint can be summed up as, this just isn't following my timeline. This isn't happening as quickly as I would like it to happen. I have a plan, and this plan should be completed by this day. And if it's not, I'm going to talk to somebody about it. I'm going to go vent about it. And maybe some of us have felt that very way here in this church building. Maybe some of us have felt that way for a while. Maybe we have felt like this ministry search is not going by my timeline. Maybe we think we should have had a preacher by now. We should have had a youth minister by now. And we think, you know what? There's a problem in this church because it's not following where I've X'd the calendar. But folks, I'm telling you, God works on His time. God will do things when He is ready and when the church is ready. See, because what happens when we want things on our timeline is we're going to do the same things that the Israelites did. They had food. They had water. But because they didn't want that food and that water, they complained and said, we don't have any. Are we doing the same thing? Because things at Dalreda don't look like we think they should look, we're saying, well, it's all gone wrong. It's all bad. Folks, we've got to be patient with God. 
We've got to be patient with our leadership. And we've got to be patient with the church as a whole, with the people who are here. Patience underlie, should underlie every conversation we have with a person. Realizing that dealing with other people, other fallible human people, means that we're going to run into some bumps in the road. It means that we're going to run into some difficulties. And we've got to be patient and let them play out. I think ultimately, when we're looking at all of these complaints, specifically from Israel, but then when we tie them into our lives today. We read 1 Corinthians 10 earlier. Paul talks about these specific things that happen in 1 Corinthians 10. He talks about the idolaters in the wilderness. He talks about the trying in the wilderness and the serpents. He talks about the grumbling in the wilderness. He says these things happen as an example and were written for our instruction. And there's a reason for this. There's a reason that we have these connections between the church here and the Israelites. It's in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed so that he does not fall. Every complaint that we have talked about today falls under one category. And that category is pride. How many times when we were talking about the complaints of Israel did we use the word I, or me, or my? This is not following my timeline. Leaders are not doing what I think they should do. All of this is tied to pride. James will say the same thing. What is the source of quarrels in James 4 and conflicts among you? Is it not the source, is not the source your own pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. All of this comes down to our own pride, our unwillingness to seek a solution, and bad communication. Us not willing to actually take the proper forms of communication that are given to us to talk to people when we do feel dissatisfied, when we do feel like something's wrong. There are ways that we can express that that are proper. There are ways that we can express that that are good and ordained by God. But a lot of times it's because we want something else, we don't communicate it properly. Let's turn to one last passage in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, the part of this passage that we all know is in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him, and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
we have this beautiful passage about the humility of Jesus. About how Jesus had everything that we want. Jesus was where we are trying to be. Our goal is what was in Jesus' possession. And He gave it all up. Not to become a king here on earth. Not to become a leader here on earth. But instead to become a servant. He humbled Himself to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. And so Paul gives us this great imagery to set up this phrase in Philippians 2 and verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Paul says, I know churches complain. I know churches grumble. I get it. It happens. We're people. We do it. But if you want to shine like the light for Christ that you're supposed to be, if you want to look different than the world that's outside of these walls, and if you want people to come into these walls because we're different, sometimes we just got to close our mouths. Sometimes we've just got to humble ourselves and realize that it's not my opinion that matters. It's how I act, it's how I treat people, and it's how I affect people for Christ. And he gives us the practical example here. Hold fast to the word of life. I think maybe a good connection for this is a passage we all know. Philippians 4 and verse 8. If you, wanna, if you are, have a problem with complaining, like I do, like maybe we all do, Paul gives us a very easy way out. If you want to stop complaining, if you want to stop and think about solutions instead of the problems, Philippians 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Instead of focusing on our complaints, instead of focusing on the things that we think are being done wrong, it's time for us to start looking at what's being done right and using that to help improve what's going on using that to help improve the church here. If we've got our hearts and our minds set on things that are true and right and honorable and pure, we don't have time to complain. Because instead of focusing on what we're going to complain about, we're focusing on how can I advance the cause of Christ at the Dalreda Church? How can I advance the gospel through our work at Dalreda? When we're focused on these things, our heart doesn't have room for complaint. I hope this morning that all of us, myself included, can be a little more humble. That all of us can remember that we're all on the same team. And that going behind closed doors and complaining about things and, and, and venting and de-stressing or, or whatever we want to call it, does no good. Instead, we focus on the things that are pure and true and we focus on how can I, as an individual person, solve the problems that I see? How can I, as an individual Christian, do what God wants me to do at the church here to improve the community 
and to help improve the church? If we ask ourselves those questions, I think our complaints will die. I hope that I have the humility. I hope that you have the humility. And maybe some of that humility will come in an action of taking your first steps towards Christ. Maybe it's humbling yourself before Christ for the first time by faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. By saying, you know what, I can't do this on my own. My sin is too great. Let me humble myself and let Christ take over. You have an opportunity to do that here this morning at this time. Or maybe, maybe you're a part of this church. And maybe this morning, kind of like I have realized as I've been looking at this, realize that, you know what, this is a problem I've got. This is an issue I've got. And I want to fix that, and I need some help from the people around me. There's nothing more humble you can do than ask for prayers, and nothing we'd love better to do than to pray for you as we stand and sing.